Today in the podcast, we're having a conversation on energy. Not the kind of hoo-ha energy, but the kind of energy that enables us to take responsibility for the things that make us better. Here to talk about it is my very clever friend and someone that I really admire, Lisa O'Neill. Lisa is a speaker and author, and she spends her days helping individuals and teams and organizations get better. She recently told me that energy is everything. So today I give her a call to explore why. Hi everyone and welcome to Phone Calls with Clever People. My name's Shane Hatton. I'm a speaker, author and mentor from Melbourne, Australia and I'm passionate about all things leadership and communication. I realized recently that I know some really clever people in my network and I thought it would be a fun idea to be able to take some of their cleverness and share it with the rest of the world. Now through the wonders of technology, I'm broadcasting my phone calls with clever people just for you. And really the premise is quite simple. I just want to be able to ask great questions of talented people to help us all become more effective leaders. In an all too serious world, Lisa O'Neill is a colorful bubble of joy and laughter. Make no mistake though, her memorable messages come from life-tested wisdom. From a career in fashion and television to being a mum of four, Lisa has her feet on the ground. With refreshing directness, Lisa is passionate that we should all get to live the best version of ourselves. She's written five books on how to do exactly that. Look Gorgeous, Be Happy, Juggling in High Heels, The Lickable Third, 100 Questions to Self-Awareness, and her latest book, Everything You Want. Lisa's one of my favorite people and she's sure to leave you feeling energized and ready to change the way that you think about life. It's an absolute privilege to have her on the phone with me now. Lisa, welcome. Thank you. So nice to be here. So the podcast is called Phone Calls with Clever People. And often um, people go, well, when are you going to have phone calls with everybody else? Um, And I've affectionately titled this (laughs) podcast episode phone calls with my favorite people, because I would put you in the list of some of my most favorite people on the planet. Um, So I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I did lovely. What a lovely way to intro the conversation. See? I've got so much that I want to ask you. I've got so much that I want to talk about. Um, but before I do, we all, we always start with some fast facts. And so just three quick questions for you. Number one, where were you born? Mm-hmm. Number two, what was your first job? And then number three, what do you do with yourself now? Oh, wow. So I was born in Palmerston North in New Zealand um, a whole 50 years ago, just turned 50. So that was a, that was a big deal. Uh, first job, much to my father's disgust, I went from head girl at school to being a barmaid. I was desperate to get out and experience the world, and I got myself. He said, "If you get a job, you can leave," and I did. And he was horrified. <laughs> and I learned more. I learned more in six months as a barmaid than I think I learned in the entire my entire high school um, wow. space. Fascinating. Like I'm really obsessed with people, and I think working in a bar at um, 17 was yeah amazing, amazing training in hindsight. Are you a bit of a people yeah, watcher? Great. Do you enjoy just watching people and and kind of just learning from people and observing people? 100%. I'm fascinated by people. I think people are so fascinating, and I love. I think if I gone down the university route, I would have done psychology because I love what makes people tick and what makes people the way they are, and I'm just obsessed with making people better, which is my 
probably leads into my next. The next question was, um, what do I do now? Which is, I just help people to be better, and I help teams to be better, organisations to be better. I just like the idea of, I think, if everyone gets, if everyone just got two or three percent better, the whole world would change. Mm. And I think we're looking for really big, massive changes, and often the changes we need to make are quite small, but they're really significant. Um, yeah, so I think just being better. And yeah. I love it when people go, I want to be better. And I'm like, awesome. Then we'll, Come and we'll hang work out together well. we'll yeah. I like the I yeah. like the picture yeah. of, of um, if everybody just got that little bit better than the collective impact of that. And we're yeah, you're right. We often think that big change is a result of, you know, big change, but often big change is a result mm. of lots of people just getting marginally and even just a little bit better that actually creates a big collective and compounded impact, right? I say that to organizations that I work with. I'm like, you know, if everyone in, in this company, like how many employees have you got? And they're like, oh, we've got 3,000 staff. And I'm like, right, so if everyone got 2% better, can you imagine the impact? And they're like, oh. Oh, how do we do that? I'm like, it's really easy. Mm. But unfortunately, it sounds simple and basic, and it's not. Because, you know, we all know all the theories. We all know, oh, you should sleep more. You should have more vegetables. You should (laughs) go for a walk every morning. It's like we know all this stuff, but we don't do it. And so it's not a case. It's actually where's the motivation, I think, in that. And I had this beautiful moment um, just a week ago. I got a phone call from someone who said, oh, I believe you're New Zealand's leading expert in motivational leadership. And I was like, oh. Oh, I'll take that. I haven't heard that before, but I'm delighted with that as an intro. So I think, yeah, motivational leadership is about how do we motivate people to be better. Mm. Um, And as leaders, our job is to make other people better, right? So I feel like that's the whole point. So if I make a leader better, then they make their team better. So it's just goes out. It's beautiful. Yeah. One of the conversations I've been having with people lately, especially um, leaders in organizations is they all often say uh, when we invest in a particular, I guess, section of our organization. So maybe we invest in our people leaders, we find that they lift, but often it's not necessarily, we just want, we don't just want the leaders to lift. We want everyone that sits below them to lift. We want everybody to get better because if we collectively get better, then the impact of that is actually significantly felt across the organization. Yeah. Well, I, I always say to people when I'm to leaders, especially when I'm working with them, like, and, and I was speaking at a women's conference just before the COVID lockdown, and I said to them, how many of you are leaders? And there were 600 women in this room, and about a third of them put their hands up. And I'm like, how many of you are parents? And nearly all of them put their hands up. And I'm like, okay, so you're all leaders, right? Mm-hmm. So you're all leading someone. And the definition of a leader is that people are following you. And whether you're paid to do that or whether that's a neighborhood duty or a family role or you're still a leader – and I think the de- definition of a good leader is someone who improves the people that are following them, mm. um, which is the whole point. But it's like who's improving the leader? And so if, if, if your responsibility is to improve everyone under you and no one's helping you improve, that's a tough gig. Wow. You know, leadership's hard. Like leadership is hard. I reckon. Yeah, and I think people who are in finding themselves in leadership leadership position right now would would reflect and go, yeah, absolutely, it is, um, and it's challenging. Mm. And and a lot of the things that we talk about might seem very simple, uh, but they actually require a lot of deep work and a lot of a lot of intention. I think probably intention is often the one that I, I I attach the word that I attach to a lot of it because people they want to get better, but often just get distracted or get sidetracked, and and everything kind of sits at the peripheral of their life rather than going, what would it look like to bring this into focus and if I actually put my energy and time and investment into some of this to get better. Yeah, and they need to understand the impact of what would happen. Like if you just went to bed an hour earlier every night, what's the impact of that? Like what, mm. what difference would that make to your world? And and we don't ever actually go down the route of looking at what would the impact be. So we just go, I don't think that would help. 
I reckon it would help enormously. Mm. Like I've got CEOs on sleep programs um, because I think it's the most, I think Arianna Huffington in the book The Sleep Revolution said that more people, more companies would benefit if people slept their way to the top. And I really <laughs> like that. It's like, you know, sleep is our great, one of our greatest abilities to recharge and restore mm. and yet we don't do it and it's a badge of honour to be tired. Yeah. in today's society so it's kind of cool if you go oh man I'm exhausted and I don't get any sleep and I'm amazing because I can fire on four hours a night it's like you're not amazing mm. you're failing at being a human you are failing at the basics of being a human if you don't sleep so simple things and you you, yeah. you mentioned here and one of the things you say is that really energy is everything it's this it's it's kind of that the big yeah. focus if we can get that right then everything else we can kind of um will fall into place like Let's let's kind of go back a little bit and understand like energy. Like what is energy? When you talk about energy, because it can sound a little bit hoo-ha, kind of like this idea of this energy. Um, it sounds a little bit abstract. But like what, oh, yeah. what is energy for you? Like what, how do you unpack that? Oh, so that, and I get really hoo-ha on this. <laughs> energy for me, just, just a warning. Um, energy for me is everything because I think it starts with our thoughts and it, our emotions amplify it and our actions increase or decrease it and it's everything from what it's emotional like the emotional energy of how you feel and running on your feelings and processing how you physically feel as a human and it's the physical impact of you know what you're putting in and out of your body and what that looks like and there's so many things we can control on a physical level we need to be more aware of what we can control like on an emotional level and then there's a spiritual energy that I think comes from understand from tapping into something and having a faith what I call a faith base of and the faith it can be anything um, for some people it's religion for some people it's the universe it can be anything that is bigger than you that you tap into and have enormous faith in. Mm. And I think faith is a really massive part. Having faith in yourself, having faith in your organisation, having faith in the work you do, having faith in the people around you, you know, there's so much in that, let alone God or the universe or whatever you believe in on a much higher level. I think there's a lot of, um, there's so yeah, the spiritual energy is as big as emotional and physical. Mm. But people don't understand it. They don't understand the impact of, um, you know, the, the belief that I'm going to be okay. If you've got that faith and that belief that you're going to be okay, your energy is much nicer to be around than someone who's constantly living in a fear energy. Mm. Um, you know, and it's like identifying where your energy comes from. And really it can only come from fear or love on, a, on that level. Mm. Um, and what is your base? And we have a different, everyone has different makeups and different, you know, experiences. So if you've had a really awful life and you've had lots of horrible experiences, your fear base is going to be quite strong. So you might come and you might appear to people in your world like you're very negative or very sort of scared. And you might be, and rightly so. But it's like, how? what can you do about that? What can you do about... And I believe we're always in control of our energy. And if you can do some work on, you know, fixing and correcting, just tweaking your energy... Um, so I spend a lot of time talking to people about energy, mm. where it comes from, where is your greatest source of energy, you know, like what actually fills your boots and people don't know. Yeah. People like my latest book, um, everything you want. I talk about the six things that I believe we all want as a human race. And then what are the six things that you need to get those things? Cause we're not taught. 
We're not taught to meet our own needs. Mm. And that blows my mind. We're just not taught to look after ourselves, to meet our needs, to trust our instincts. You know, it mm. blows my mind how we, we get taught from a very early age to ignore your own instincts and to do what is right. And so that we become these this beast of people pleasers mm. and we're running around um, just being trained. We're just trained seals that yeah. you must finish your dinner. Well, why should you finish your dinner? If you're not hungry, why would you finish? Because you've got to clean your plate. Why? Because your mother <laughs> thinks you should clean your plate? And it's like, and we wonder why people end up you know, overeating or with eating. It's like because you're drilling people to do things that go against their natural instincts. Mm. Um, and I'm really aware of that. Like as a parent, I've always kept been super aware. Like my children are my greatest case studies. Um, <laughs> and just watching them and going, hmm, I wonder why he doesn't want to, you know, and just on food alone, like people generally not eat things that make their bodies uncomfortable. Um, and I've got, like I've got a friend who forces your child to eat potatoes. Because you must eat potatoes because they're a staple. And it's important that she eats potatoes. And I'm like, but, but is it? Really? This mm. kid screams every night because she doesn't want to eat potatoes. And six years down the track, has a whole lot of allergy testing done because she's got all these terrible skin conditions and, and she's allergic to potatoes. Now, that child knew that at two years old. Mm. But the mother overrode it and said, potatoes are good for you. You must eat potatoes. <laughs> every cell in that kid's body was screaming at her going, Potatoes aren't my thing, mum. Mum, mm. potatoes aren't my thing. Um, but we don't trust our instincts and we don't trust people. We don't allow people to follow their vibes and follow their instincts. Mm. You know, we say, well, you shouldn't be feeling this or you shouldn't be doing that. And it's like, well, but what if I am? What if I am? I think overriding that is crazy. I reflect on some of my schooling and I, 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 I am still waiting for the day where I learn to apply Pythagoras's theorem um, to any of the, some of the things oh. I do. But I never never got taught some of these things that we're talking about here, which is about like some of the basic things around. Um, yeah. I, I like the way you've described it. Um, this idea of energy enables us to be able to do all of these things, but we've got to try and find out where do we draw that from. And so we often try to draw it from external sources and try to find someone else to get that energy. But where there are so many yeah. things that we can do ourselves and take charge of and take responsibility for that is going to bring more energy into our life to enable us to us to be able to do more and to be able to lift and be better right yeah and it's what I, it's what I call self-leadership and it's like it's very it's actually um it's very selfish and I believe the word selfish means self-full so it means actually the importance it's important to fill yourself up I don't believe selfish is negative mm. and we, we've been taught that we need to put everyone else ahead of ourselves and it's like unless we truly develop ourselves and look after ourselves and honour ourselves, we're never going to actually become everything we're capable of becoming. And outsourcing all of your whole life to external people, it's just, it's just no, there's nothing in there. And, mm. you know, I say your life should be all about you. And people are like, oh, you can't write a book called everything you, you should get everything you want. I'm like, oh, I did. And <laughs> I genuinely believe we're on this planet to get everything we want, to be happy, to become everything we're capable of becoming, that's yeah. it. You're not here to pay bills, to vacuum, to tidy up, and to please your parents. That's actually not what you're on the planet for. Um, I think there's a lot of learnings from pleasing your parents. Mm. <laughs> you know, I believe I believe we choose our parents, and I believe we choose them for the lessons we get to learn. But I think there's just no point in all that. It's like, really, why are you here, and mm. what do you want? What do you want? And people can't answer that question. 
I love Stephen Pressfield's. He's he uh, in, in the War of Art. He talks about that we all have two lives. We've got the life we live and then the unlived life within us. And one of my best yeah. definitions of success, of success in life was someone who said it's about closing the gap between the life we live and the unlived life within us. And I just thought that was such a beautiful picture yeah. of kind of what you're saying here is how could I make sure that by the time I die, whenever that is, that I've closed the gap between the life I could have lived and the life that I actually lived. Yeah, and so many of us end up living other people's lives. We go from, you know, doing as we're told by our parents to doing as we're told as students to doing as, and then we get a partner and then we we sort of mould ourselves into their world and we do what they think we should do and they and we become the partner that they want us to be and then we can't become the parent that we think we should be and and it's like and then we become the boss that we think we have to be and and it's like and then you get in your box at the end and go well shit what was the point of that I didn't actually tick off any of the stuff I wanted to do I did all the stuff I should do and none of the stuff I want to do mm. and that's certainly not how I want to live my life yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I think most people are listening. Go. I, I want to make sure that I, I can I can live a life that helps helps me get better rather than worse. A life that actually helps me to live the life that I want to live rather than the life that somebody else has kind of designed for me and told me that I should live. Because we have a whole lot of these un, these unspoken expectations, right? And I've had conversations on the pod, mm. podcast recently with someone about money. And they were saying we live out somebody else's money story rather than living, finding out what is our money story for ourselves. And we do that in every area of life, don't we? All the stories, all the stories, like what does it mean to be to be good and what does it mean to be, you know, all of the stories. And they all come from our beliefs, right? So beliefs, I think after energy, beliefs is my next favorite thing to talk about because it's like <laughs> everything everything starts with a belief and comes from a belief. And we end up, um, you know, catching – and our energy and beliefs are contagious and you've got to be really careful who you're rubbing up against because you will absorb things and I don't know about you but oh, I've come across that. quite a few beliefs I come across a lot of beliefs where suddenly I go hang on a minute that's actually not my belief like where did I catch that from it's like a virus that I caught and I thought for a moment <laughs> that was my belief and then I looked at it and went oh, no, no 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 hang on that's someone else's virus like that is not my belief and where is that belief come from and why have I adopted it as part of my life because it's not it's not true for me so I think that um, I was really lucky that I was raised by a Presbyterian mother and an atheist father. So I was raised in this very right. interesting dynamic of really different beliefs. So the beautiful thing about that, some people would say, oh, that must have been really conflicting. And I'm like, no, it was beautiful because I got to go, so where do I sit in the middle of, if there are a line, where do I sit in that line? And, and what do I believe? And which part of the things my father says do I go, hmm? That sounds true to me. And which part of the things my mum says, do I go, hmm, that sounds true to me? Um, you know, and my mother would take us to Sunday school and my father would say, oh, what a little shit. And so it was like this really interesting <laughs> life. Um, and I loved it. I'm really, really grateful to have had that experience because I think if you get raised by, say, two atheists, you have a very limited view of, of the world because you haven't seen the other side. And if you get raised in a particular religion, you only have that view as well. And I think when you look at, and I look at my husband who was raised a Catholic and his, it's really funny without realizing it, he's just like, oh, well, that's right and that's wrong. And I'm like, according to who? And he's like, you know, the priest. I'm like, okay then, do you think there's any other way to look at things? No, probably not. No, I'm pretty sure that's it. I'm like, <laughs> righty-ho. So you end up with this very fixed view and it's your view, right? Um, and I think everyone should have their view. I don't believe anyone's wrong. And one of the things I love to do is talk to people who have different beliefs than me 
because I love to know where those beliefs come from and what fires them up about that belief. And I, I love talking to people who have completely opposite beliefs to me. I find it fascinating. Mm. Um, yeah, I, love I was having a conversation with a mutual friend of ours, Cameron Schwab, because one of the things we were talking about is belief is something you need to hold tightly and loosely at the same time, because you, you need beliefs that are strong enough for you to be able to kind of create some sense of conviction. But at the same time, it also needs to be flexible and hold them loosely enough that they could be changed and they could be challenged. And that's a hard dynamic to try and manage those two. Oh, it's massive. But rigid beliefs, you know, I mean, they cause all the wars in the world. But rigid mm. belief is really dangerous. Yeah. And um, that any, I, I have a, I have an allergy to mediocrity and rigidity. And I, I just, love that. There's nothing that I'm re- there's nothing I'm rigid about. I'm very fluid, um, and I'm always. I like to think of myself as always open, even just for a minute, mm. <laughs> for just a moment. I'll be open, and then I'll go. Oh no, I'm closed about that now. But I'm. For, I like to think I'm always a little bit open to anything, because I don't think rigidity, especially in the world the way it is at the moment, there's just no, no space for rigidity. Mm. You know, none. Yeah. Yeah. So I love this conversation we're having here. So we, we kind of started out this idea that energy is this kind of, um, and I, one of the things um, that I love, I've heard it described as is this kind of connection to a source. And I like that idea of like, we've got a connection to a source, which could be a spiritual kind of connection to source that gives us energy. Mm-hmm. But there's also the things that we can do within ourselves to create this energy. So it's the, it's the food that we eat. It's the, the sleep that we have, all these things. But at the same time, um, we also have these beliefs, which are kind of creating an energy around us and, and the kind of person that we are to be around them. One of my favorite things that you, you've said just now is this idea that energy is contagious and beliefs are contagious. They they can kind of rub yeah. off on the people around us. And if you kind of reflect on the kind of people that you work with and the conversations that you're having, like what are some of the things that you're noticing around energy that's kind of getting people into a bit of trouble or that's causing issues and causing problems for people? I think at the moment, like in this, I want to say post-COVID, I don't think we're quite post yet, but in the, during COVID, <laughs> yeah. I think we're, I think we're sort of during. Um, but I think one of the big things is people are really bogged down. The energy is really heavy with restriction. So, And there's so many restrictions in our world now, like, you know, we, that you have to wear a mask or that you can't turn up here or you have to queue. And you, there's restrictions on everything, whereas we took for granted just how free we were before. And now that there's physical restrictions in our world, it's really hard not to let that restrict your thinking and restrict your energy. Mm. So you start to think, what what can't I do rather than what can? And I think the difference between the energy of going, what can I do? It's a, what can I do or what could I do is a really expansive, open, beautiful question. And what yeah. can't I do feels very, very, um, it feels like contracted and it feels heavy and it feels like shoulds, it feels like yeah. And so to me, we're really, unfortunately, a lot of us are stuck in what I can't do rather than what I can. And I think there's no, you lose your power when you focus on what you can't do. Um, instead of what you can. Such a nice reframe, just that simple idea of being able to shift from like, here's all the things that I feel like I I can't control, but I'm trying to. And as a result of that, you would feel like life's out of control. 
because you go, I can't control these things. Whereas you're saying like the reframe becomes like, what other things, like how do I start to control the controllables, right? Absolutely. And you're always in control of something. Even if it's, you know, the color of your toenail polish or the time you have breakfast, you're always in control of something. And I think focusing on what you can control and, and dealing with what is rather than what if, mm. because the what if scenario will just send you mental. Like if you spend all day at home going, oh, what if what if the borders never open in New Zealand? What if the planes never fly? What if I never travel overseas again? What if, or what if? Like you could spend all day catastrophizing what mm. if. But actually, I think it's far more important. I journal every day on what is. So what is true for me today? And, and what, is, what is today? What is today? What, are, what am I bringing to today? What do I need from today? What is today actually about? And what is the energy I choose to be in? Um, what's the state I need to be in? So if I'm presenting, I need to be in an elevated state so that I can give energy to the people I'm presenting to if I'm in um, if I'm writing I need to be in a content comfortable state where I can sit with myself and be comfortable and have all my needs met like I can have hot tea and my seat's comfortable and my laptop's at the right level and you know I've got and I'm content and I'm calm so mm. for me I need to walk first so it's like what do I do to manage my state and what do I need to be today so and understanding what is today like today oh, actually, today's not what I planned because my daughter's just had a tantrum, my son's just fallen off his bike, I now end up at the doctor's, nothing actually went the way I wanted it, what can I control? Mm. So, And the three things I always want to control, uh, my mind, my mood and my money. So I go, how can I control my mind? Um, okay, I can stop my mind from going a wee bit crazy and going, oh, my life's mental, my children are all hurt. And I can go, no, no, I'm very fortunate, my life's fine and isn't this doctor wonderful that's attending to my son? Um, so it's that constant reframe of what's wonderful. And I'm I'm ridiculously positive. Like I'm annoying. I'm very annoyingly positive. It's one of my favorite things about you. I definitely think it's one of my Positivity is so high. I'm a pain in the bum, actually, if I'm honest. I'm, people are like, people, my husband, um, my friend's husband left her not that long ago. And she rang me and told me that he'd had this affair and was leaving her. And I went, oh, this is going to be the best thing that ever happens to you. And she went, <laughs> Okay, this is too soon. Lisa, oh, I, can't, too soon. I can't talk to you. I need to hang up this phone call. <laughs> okay, sorry. I may have overshot that. That might have been a bit early, but it actually is the best thing. Um, and even now she can see that it actually is a good thing because her life changed for the better. But it's really interesting. I'm yeah, stupid positive. So I like to reframe that and then I like to look at what can I control? I control my mood. I can control whether I'm being grumpy or moody. Like, you know, grumpy's a choice. Happy's a choice. And people go, oh, I'm grumpy. I'm like, well, who's in charge of that? Mm. Oh, what do you mean? Well, I'm grumpy because some woman took my park at the supermarket. I'm like, really? You're going to let the rest of your day crumble because of someone's owning a car park? Like, wow. I just think that's really powerless. Um, so I'm constantly robusting. And then controlling my money is something that I haven't had a very good relationship in the first 30 years of my life. So I've I'm trying to make up lost time today. I was financially very irresponsible. So now I'm trying to recapture my um, my wildly spent youth um, and cash flow. 
and behave myself. Last week on the podcast, um, I was interviewing uh, um, Melissa Brown and it was all around budgets. And she said one of the, the dangers of um, personal finances being out of whack is that it can actually um, lower your IQ when operating at work. And like personal financial situation has a big impact into all the other areas of our life, right? It actually affects... Well, just unnecessary stress. Like when I, I just chose not to pay attention to my money because I was like, oh, this is very boring. I don't really like numbers. And my whole financial philosophy was if, if the card says yes, then we should do that. And if the card says no, we won't. Um, and that was pretty much, pretty much where I got to. And it wasn't very smart. And what I noticed, it was an energy decision because I was constantly worrying and burning fuel around money decisions. And instead I was like, do you know what? If I've got available cash at all times, I'm not as stressed. So I just need to make organize my finances so that I always have available cash, which means actually having a plan and actually, you know, being in charge of my finances um, instead of letting them be in charge of me, which is what was happening. Mm. I love this link between energy and our ability to be able to keep kind of um – progressing and, 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 and being able to better ourselves, right? Like if you think about the journey of progressing yourself and getting better is this kind of progression upwards. Some people just mm. don't have the energy to be able to even make that progression or be able to move up that kind of, um, of, of that journey. Yeah, and people say to me all the time, I want to get better, but I just don't understand how energy is retired. And I'm like, okay, well, you don't really want to get better then because if you really want to get better, um, there are things you can do. Like if you really want this, there's some stuff you'd need to do to work out where you're leaking energy. And, mm. you know, if you're one of these people that stays up all night on a screen, um, I'm not judging that. I'm just saying if you want to be better, like after I do that quite often, stay up all night on a screen, but I know intellectually that's going to have an impact on my day the next day. So I'll do it on a Friday when I can because I'm not needed to be on on a Saturday, right? So I think, you know, it's about making, being aware and self-awareness is so big. Like what are the where are you leaking energy and what are the habits that actually aren't suiting you? Um, I love you know, that. It's picture. pretty simple. I love that picture of leaking energy. Like and even just taking time to sit and reflect and go, okay, if I was just to pick three things around my mind, my mood, and my my money, go where are, mm-hmm. where in some of these areas am I leaking energy that's that's stopping me from being able to step up into the potential or close that gap between the life that I want to live and the life that I'm actually living. Yeah, and there's so much in it. Like and the awareness piece is noticing where your energy leaks. So if you are waking up tired, there's a problem, mm-hmm. right? If you get to two o'clock in the afternoon and you're searching for sugar, there's a problem. If you want to curl up in a ball in your office and sleep every day from one till three, there's a problem. If you're, you know, you kick in and your energies, you suddenly come to life at 11 o'clock at night, there's a problem. Mm -hmm. And I always go, so just simple things, like on a physical level, I always eat, and I'm certainly no, I'm not a health freak. I eat everything, you know, um, (laughs) I love bad food. Um, But I always eat consciously for the next three hours. So, for example, I don't eat carbohydrates at lunchtime because it sends me into a food coma and it means the afternoon's completely unproductive for me. Mm. Uh, Say, on a Friday night, I might deliberately eat a whole pizza and deliberately put myself into a food coma and I'm so happy. I enjoy that state of massive carbohydrate dump. I love it. Um, But it it impacts and my energy crashes, but I don't need energy at 10 o'clock on a Friday night you know, my partying days are kind of a bit over. So I'm okay with that. It's a good time to dump my energy. So I'm not saying just become the super healthy kale eating weirdo. I think you should um, just think about when is, what have you got 
on in the next three hours and what is your body what do you need from yourself you know mind body what do you need and then eating to fuel that so it's like putting the right fuel in the car for the right job um and I think just having some awareness and if you're waking up tired you know usually it's a well it can be like a potassium deficiency right so just something as simple as taking potassium um in a multivitamin or whatever could change that Mm. and if you could just take one tablet every night when you went to bed or you took a magnesium tablet and it helped you sleep better. Or There's so many little things, mm. but we're not aware. We don't even notice where our energy gaps are. And if you said to someone, I'm always tired in the morning, there's a million people out there that would advise you what to take and you can get good advice, right? Um, if you're always tired in the afternoon, it's like, so what did you do three hours before that? Mm. And was it food? that, Or was it a person? Like if you're always deflated after meeting with a certain person, that person is an energy vampire and they are sucking the life force out of you mm. and you need to minimize the contact with that person or identify what it is about that person. So there's people, you know, there's not just food. There's so much that depletes our energy. I call them contaminators. Um, mm. And I think everything, everything that happens in your world either contributes or contaminates to your energy. And it stops so you from being able I, to step into the potential that you've got and the space that you need oh, to operate 100%. in. Yeah, and at yeah, a, at I, a leadership I worked level with a guy as well. recently. Oh, it's huge! I worked with a guy recently, really good at his job, really great at his career, a nutritional train smash, right? But just, <laughs> I said, "What do you eat?" He said, "McDonald's." I went, "Yeah, no, no, but what else?" He goes, "No, seriously, McDonald's." I went, "How many times a week?" He goes, "No, like three times a day." I'm yeah. like, oh, "Oh, wow, okay, wow." And I'm like, "How's it going for you?" He goes, "Oh, it's probably not the best, but I love it." I'm like, "Cool." Do you love it more than reaching your potential? And he's like, uh, uh. "I don't know." I said, "Well." you're paying me a lot of money to mentor you and reaching your potential. And so obviously you're interested in getting better, but are you interested in ditching, you know, your McChickens? Yeah. And he's like, nah, I don't know. I'm like, well, are we open to trying that? Because I think that's having a massive impact on your life. And, 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 and I'm not a dietitian and I don't, you know, I don't work with people on a nutritional level, but I think just identifying how do you feel and, and when do you feel and what is the, what are the contaminators and you can't tell me that, you know, four hamburgers a day is not contaminating something. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> this can't be happening. And I, I'm not anti-hamburger. I love a hamburger, but I think there's a time and place, right? Yeah. Um, and it's and, a self-awareness yeah, no, piece I, that you're kind of bringing our, our, yeah. our, our attention to here, which is it, when I know who in my life is currently sucking the life out of me, the energy vampires, yeah. what in my life right now is contaminating me, it's actually stopping me from being, having the energy that I need to step up out of a place of mediocrity mm. into what I need to be. Um, you described yourself as being allergic to mediocrity to me. Um, give, yeah. give me like why, why do you hate mediocrity so much? And it's okay if you want to rant here, um, but like what's your, what's your beef with mediocrity? I can't say. I'm really, I'm really big on effort. Like I think effort is the most attractive thing that any people, place, company, any, anyone who provides effort, I'm all over. Like I, I just think effort's so amazing. I think, and I think effort's really sexy. I think effort. People turn up and they've made an effort. I'm like, wow. Like I love effort. And mm. people who are happy with status quo and they just want to be average and they want to. I just think it's a waste of your precious life. I just think it's 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 sort of not honouring the fact that you have a heartbeat. Yeah. I mean, you've got a life. There's people out there that don't, you know, are no longer living, and you've got this precious life. And you're not honouring it. And I'm very big. One of my favourite sayings is honour everything, but know that nothing matters. And I think we need to honour 
everything. Honor everything. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna go to a meeting, be amazing at the meeting. Don't go if you're gonna be awful. Just don't go because you're better to not turn up than to be average. And so it's like if you're gonna go to a meeting, be amazing. If you're gonna send a present, make it an amazing present. If you're gonna wrap a gift, make it amazing. Just don't do things. I always say that I've got a big ass, so it's okay if I do things with half my ass, but I just don't really <laughs> like people doing half-ass things because I'm like, why, why would you do that? And you know that feeling, I think it's a me thing, but you know that feeling when someone gives you a half-ass gift, but mm. they don't care? Yep. They just literally stopped somewhere and picked it up on the way and went here, and you're like, wow. Like a, a badly thought-out gift, I think, is worse than no gift. Yep. I would rather literally, because I think no gift goes, oh, I didn't do a gift either. A, I'm not a gift giver. B, I ran out of time. Or C, I don't care. But <laughs> a bad gift is I just don't care. Yeah. Because I've just got you a thing. I just got you a thing. And, and, and handing someone a thing, it's box ticking at its worst. Yeah. You know, and it's like companies that give away shitty gifts to their staff. I'm like, just don't bother. <laughs> just save your budget. Yeah. Because they just go, wow, they really don't care about me at all, do they? Look at what they gave me. You know, yeah. I just think it's, and I think being thoughtful um, and making an effort. I'm going to one day write a book called The Joy of Effort, but everyone said to me, no one will buy that. No one wants to make an effort, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I do. I'm really passionate about effort. I think put a, put some effort in. And, you know, if you're not going to do, it's like my, um, both my daughters are dancers. And I turned up one day at a dance um, class and the teacher said, oh, would you like to see Ruby's new competition piece, and I'm like, I'd love to. And I've paid, like at this point, about $400 in private lessons for this one dance. So I sit there, and the teacher puts the music on, and the teacher goes at the end of it, what did you think? I said, it was it was awful. And she was like, <laughs> oh, she was horrified. She's like, oh, what do you mean? Do you not like the dance? I went, well, it just wasn't good. And I said to <laughs> Ruby, what, what level were you dancing at then? And she's like, Oh, you know, teenager. Oh, about 60 or 70%. It's not good enough. I, I've paid for this dance. Louise has created this dance for you. I'm sitting here watching and you give me... I said, imagine if you had an operation and the doctor was like, ah, I'm just at 60% today, you know? <laughs> imagine if the pilot, the pilot of your plane was like, I think I'll just be at 60% today. It's just not good enough. And I think organisations pay you 100% of your wages to turn up and be 100%. So don't turn up and be less than. And, I, you know, at the same time, it's not you, it's not a, um, an option to be 100% all the time. We've got stuff in our lives. You know, everyone's got issues. And some days you just know you're not at full, full ability. But to actually, I find mediocrity is people that are happy to accept mid-range numbers all the time. They're like, nah, it's fine. I'm like, but is it? Is it really? Is it fine? Mm. You know, I just, um, yeah, I've always had ridiculous high standards, so I um I struggle with people that are accepting of mediocrity. I think mediocrity happens, but I think we don't have to look for it. We don't yeah. have to play the game of or, going, or yay to, me, to, I'm gonna to be to mediocre. Fall to the standard of mediocrity when we could rise to the standard of excellence that we that we can live up and live up to. And I, I love the way that you've just framed that that conversation around like we actually um I think um, effort and excellence is a really attractive quality. When you see people who make an effort oh. and they show up and they deliver something with excellence, yeah. there's something deeply attractive about that. Yeah, and people say to me, oh, when you turn up, you're, you, you know, you're always so on. And I'm like, yeah, 
course I'm on. I've turned up. Like turn up, turned on is one of my favorite sayings. I'm like, don't turn up if you're not turned on. And you need to work out what do you need to turn yourself on. Um, And that's state management, right? So it's like what what do you need to – to manage your state, to get you into an on space. And um, even if you're having a really bad time, I had to go and present once from, like, my daughter was in hospital and I had to leave her to present an event. I had to go from a hospital bed to a presentation back to the hospital. And for me to be on in that point was really hard, like really hard to get my state into a space where I could give and, and present, you know, to a thousand plus people. But it's it was in my contract, and it's like, well, if I'm going to turn up, I'm going to be turned on. I'm going to be on and and ready. And I think energy and excellence is is massive. But I think enthusiasm is the other thing that I'm a big fan of. Like enthusiasm is so attractive, and I would rather work with someone who was kind of dumb but enthusiastic than someone who was super clever and not interested. Yeah. Because I think. You know, people go, oh, yeah, but I can be, I, I don't have fear, I'm amazing. One of the risks I find working with clever people is they know they're clever and so they don't think they need to try and they think they've got what I call the clever card. And I'm like, you know, don't come in here and try and play your clever card. Just because you're clever doesn't mean you don't get to come to meetings or, you you know, you get to be awful because mm. you think you're so clever that that gives you some sort of indemnity against being and you know turning up and 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 being enthusiastic um and I love enthusiasm like enthusiastic people like enthusiastic staff like I'm I spent years in retail and I'm an absolute nightmare in a retail situation with bad staff like if I notice that either they don't make an effort they're not enthusiastic or they're not interested in me as a customer mm. I'm the worst awful customer ever I have <laughs> And I think I seek it out. I think I'm like a beacon looking for a bad experience. And we go into a shop and something will happen and or in a restaurant. My kids will be like, uh-oh. It's, a, it's, like, uh-oh. A, it's like a red flag to a ball. Like I, I'm the same. I, I come from business background and experience really. It's, mm. it's quite a, it's, it's a, it's a big thing for me. And I, I hate the feeling of some like, a feeling like someone didn't put any effort in or any attention to detail and some care. Um, uh, definitely, you, yeah. can, you can feel that. Um, one of the things I'm looking, I'm just we're going to kind of bring the conversation into close, but I've loved this progression, this journey that we've moved through, which is around identifying at a deeper level this kind of source of our energy, where we get our energy from, both an external source of, you know, whatever that kind of spiritual element to it is, also the internal mm-hmm. practical things that we can do. And we talk through this mood, money, and mind um, set that we can have that kind of creates this energy, which allows us to show up with effort um, and actually enthusiasm so that we can actually be better. And I love that progression of going energy really is everything. The the core essence of all of this, the energy that allows us to kind of step up into that space actually helps us, helps make us better. Is that kind of the progression that I'm hearing in this? Totally. And energy is literally all you've got. Like at the end of the day, it's all you've got. And how you turn up, um, and I have a sign on my office door that says, please be responsible for the energy you bring into the space. And I think checking your energy and making sure energy is like a Wi-Fi signal. And we're all walking around sending us signal. And, you know, you know, some people you can feel them when they come into a room. (laughs) Yeah. And like, and like, you've got beautiful energy. The minute I met you, I was like, you've got lovely energy. There's something that I want to engage with you, like because your energy is really open and friendly and you've got this lovely safety. I think it's a safe energy. And some people have, 
everyone has different kinds of energy. But you know what I mean? When you meet someone that you go, oh, your energy feels good. And then when your energy feels awful, and, you know, I've got four teenagers, and all three now, three, one's two, twenty, so I'm out of the teenager on that one. <laughs> but with, they, they, they have this awful, mucky Wi-Fi signal teenagers, and they can't help it. It's part of them bumping around trying to work out who they are and trying to align themselves with who they should be, and they're trying to work. It's a massive identity process, you know, being a teenager. And so they're horrible. They're actually awful. It's not their fault. I just go, look, it's not your fault. You're awful, darling. You are awful. But could you just, if you're going to be awful, and I say this to my kids at least once a week, look, if you're going to be awful, could you just take yourself away and be awful in your room? Because none of us need to actually be absorbing your awful. And it comes back to that energy's contagious, right? It's like, don't don't hang out if, with someone who's contagious um, mm. if the energy's horrible. Get rid of them. I just say, and if you've got someone in a meeting, I've been in meetings before if I said, look, I think this meeting will go better if you left because your energy is actually <laughs> not, not useful. It's just not useful. And and people, you know, people that tolerate bad energy, and I'm just, I refuse to tolerate that. I'm like, if you're in a bad space, either fix it up or get out. Like don't, and having some awareness and that experience of, and that's where the awareness comes in because it's like, what is it like to experience you? And people don't know. Negative people go, oh, I don't know what my, I don't know what their problem is. I'm like, I think it's you, <laughs> but they have no awareness that they are negative. Like they'd be horrified if you told them. They're like, what? Negative? Me? I'm not negative. I'm like, whew, you're capital M negative. Like you know, but they don't have the awareness of what it's like to experience them because people don't give people honest feedback and they don't say things like, could you leave because you're awful. Um, and people need some awareness on that. I think that you're. You know, if you're not behaving well, um, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I've just loved this conversation, Lisa. I feel like there's so many just little practical nuggets of gold and wisdom that we can draw out of an experience like this. And again, bringing it right back to this conversation around energy is like, what are the things that I can control and what are the things that I can make a difference Mm. about? How can I become more self-aware about some of these things that I can change? I think if we can do that, not only do we get better individually, but we also help our teams lift with us. We help our organizations lift with us. And we actually, at a bigger, I guess, a bit more abstract way, we make the world a whole lot better, um, which is kind of where we started this conversation. If we could all just get that 2 to 3% better, what kind of impact could we yeah. make on the world? Yeah, the world is better, right? And you get to be a better parent, a better partner, a better friend, you know, a better child, a better, a better leader, a better staff member, a better business owner. Whatever you are, you, you have the option to be better. But you've got to take responsibility for that, for being better. And you've got, and you can find if you want to be mediocre, then that's awesome. Just don't contact me. Um, <laughs> Beautiful, beautifully said. Talk to someone else. <laughs> I, I, there was a reason why I, I labeled this phone calls with my favorite people today because you are definitely one of my favorite people and you're a great person to be around. And, and obviously, if people want to connect with you, you've written five books. You're an absolute superstar. Your latest book, Everything You Want, is not only just um, beautifully written, but it's beautifully designed. So they can check that out at lisaoneal.co.nz. Um, I'll put a whole bunch of information for people to reach out and connect with you and, and find out about work, the work that you do, which is about ultimately helping people and organizations become better. And I think there's a whole lot of people that could do with a lot of that. I'll never be able to work because so many people out there that need to be better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so th- thank you so much for your time and thanks for being part of the podcast. You're very welcome. It's been lovely to talk to you. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week.